Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and Eric, I just, I can't believe it. It's the first time I've had a chance to talk to you since we got the news, but uh, it has finally happened. Congratulations to me. Congratulations to you. We are Hall of Fame bound at last. I, I feel like it's no less than we deserve, but still, it, 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 I've got to admit, it, it feels great. I haven't actually read the email that Showtime sent us with the subject line Hall of Fame, but I'm, I'm sure it's just full of congratulations and praise on us on us becoming Hall of Famers. I, I'm hoping I can still squeeze into my suit after packing <laughs> on a few pandemic pounds, but, but I am working on my speech. I, I've got people to thank and right. most importantly wait, wait, wait. To say, what, 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 what? Kieran Kieran yeah what? uh you, you you really should have read that whole email um really yeah we're, we're going to the hall of fame we're, we're not right. going into it as inductees Sh- showtime was just confirming our itinerary to go there and cover the inductions ah. so yeah it's uh it's it's not our time not yet ah. probably not ever but definitely ah. not yet I was really just getting into the score settling phase of the speech too <laughs> That was going to be the meat of it. Hmm. If you want to continue and talk about what scores you want to settle, like, uh, you know, I, I did cut you off and give you the, the unfortunate reality of the situation. But if you still want to talk about settling scores, by all means, go ahead and oh, do yeah. that. Yeah. Although I kind of feel thinking just going through the Rolodex in my head of some of the people who are being inducted. I feel there'll be a lot of that somehow next weekend. <laughs> yeah, there are a few chips on a few shoulders, yeah, perhaps. But, be. you know, those speeches tend to usually focus on the positive. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Yes. So, yes, uh, as you all have figured out, we are indeed uh, going to go to the Hall of Fame next week and we'll be podcasting from there. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But before we head to the Hall... We bring the hall to you. Gordon Hall, that is. Uh, the executive producer of Showbox joins us to break down Friday's Showbox triple header from Turning Stone Casino, which is just a stone's throw away from the Hall of Fame in Canastota. Uh, we will also talk about Anthony Joshua finding a new trainer, about the betting odds for Noe Inoue Nonito Donaire 2, and Devin Haney going to Australia and boxing circles around George Cambosis for the lightweight title. But we start with a similarly dominant boxing display by a similarly pound-for-pound list-bound young fighter in Minneapolis. I am, of course, talking about Stephen, cool boy Steph Fulton, who proved far too much for Danny Roman atop a Showtime championship boxing card on Saturday night. Yep, the young fighters from Philly kept rolling, uh, to the delight of the washed old podcaster from Philly, <laughs> as cool boy Steph improved to 21-0 with eight KOs and held on to his two super bantamweight belts by outboxing Roman, who was only able to win one round on one scorecard against Fulton. One judge had it, 119-109. The other two saw a 120-108 to whitewash. The official result was not at all surprising, as we both predicted Fulton would win by unanimous decision. But we expected something more competitive and exciting along the way, as did our guest last week, Al Bernstein. <laughs> but in the face of Fulton's jab and movement and counter left hook, Roman just couldn't get much of anything done. And he falls to 29-4-1 with the loss. Roman said afterward that Stephen Fulton is the best in the 122-pound division. Kieran, you're our resident Murajan Akhmadaliev stan, and he holds the other <laughs> two belts here. Is Fulton the best in the division? And what stood out to you in this performance Saturday night? How was cool boy Steph able to completely dominate Roman? Yeah, look, even as the 
charter member of the Akmadalia fan club. I, I got to acknowledge, I, I do think Fulton is the best in the division. And, and, I, and for me, the primary reason for that is his adaptability. He can fight in so many different ways from fight to fight and within a fight. Um, he'll fight the fight he wants to fight. He'll fight the fight his opponent wants, wants to fight, and he'll still win that too. Um, and he's continuing to learn. You know, He wasn't happy with how some of the things went against Brandon Figueroa. He felt that was too close of a fight. He wasn't happy with the way he prepared for that. Um, and he learned and he adapted. Um, it would be easy to say that you know he's he's so successful because he's so fast and obviously he does have tremendous speed and reflexes he's blessed with those and they're the basis of, of so much of what he does that he can see punches coming he can respond with counters with extreme rapidity he can move around the ring like a ghost but there is much more to him than that you know one thing that i really noticed more than i'd noticed before was just how beautiful his balance is he's compact he very rarely if ever allows himself to lean too far forward. Um, his lead foot's always ahead of his shoulders. He, he's, he's just a study in poise and posture in the ring. His punch selection's smart. He's got this really intense and impressive focus. You know, you, we say normally that it's not a good idea to think too much in the ring because that slows you down, but he's got these synapses that are such that it looks like he's constantly thinking and observing and calculating, but is able to to then, you know, act on those thoughts with great rapidity. I mean, I think he's a joy to watch even when the fight itself isn't necessarily. And 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 that was the case against Roman. Um, he controlled the distance, and that's a huge thing as well. I think that's very important with Stephen yeah. Fulton, is he does control the distance, and he decides the distance at which the fight is going to be fought most of the time. Um, he slid out of range whenever he wanted to, into range when it suited, he countered when he wanted to. And then, you know, over those last couple of rounds, he, he took the lead. Um, you know, he was the one who started stepping into his punches. Um, he had Roman, who's a guy who's never been really blown out, honestly, right. looking looking lost. I thought it was a tremendously impressive and dominant performance from Stephen Fulton. And honestly, yeah, he said, is he the best at 122? You could make the case, I think, that... He's making the case for himself to be more than very good at 122. Um, as we mention, every time we bring up pound for pound rankings, you keep a list, whereas I don't anymore. And I'm curious now, I assume you're just constantly keeping a sort of mentally updated list as to where somebody may be fitting, even if you don't write it down all the time. Right. But I am curious as to how Fulton fits in with regard to your personal top 10. Is he getting close to that? And And do you agree with what I had to say about him. Were you also impressed with his performance about Roman? So on the on the pound for pound front, um, you know, we just had a conversation like this a few weeks ago surrounding Shakur Stevenson. Yeah. And talked about how tough it's getting near the bottom of the list, how crowded it's getting. It's certainly not getting any easier now. Um, I did put Stevenson on my list. Uh, I have him at number eight, Lomachenko at nine, Chocolatito and Estrada at ten and eleven. I rank Chocolatito higher, even though he officially mm -hmm. lost their second fight. Uh, and then, you know, such outstanding fighters as Javante Davis, Artur <laughs> Beterbiev, Josh Taylor, they aren't wow. even just a spot or two away from the top 10. And now we have to consider Devin Haney. We'll talk about him shortly. But focusing on Fulton, in a different pound-for-pound -pound era where there was more of a drop-off after seven or eight guys, right. I could see his resume and current form and obvious talent being enough to get him on there after 21 fights. I mean, he basically shut out Danny Roman, who 
as you were just saying, and as we were saying a week ago, it's the kind of fighter who we thought could be competitive with anybody. And he was not competitive in this fight at all. So this really raised Fulton's stock. But what other meaningful wins, championship right. caliber wins, does Fulton have? Uh, Arnold Hagai was great at that point in Fulton's progression, but he's not necessarily championship caliber. Angelo Leo may turn out to be, you know, it's hard to say right now. That one, I think that win counts for something in the pound for pound discussion. Then the Brandon Figueroa fight, I think we can confidently say right now that Figueroa is the best Fulton has faced, but that was a really close fight. I had Fulton winning, but a draw wouldn't have been unreasonable. It's great for Fulton's resume, but I'm not sure a win that close helps Mm. make the case that he belongs on the pound for pound list. So I think you can see where this is headed. Uh, Mm -hmm. Fulton is a tremendous young fighter. I think he's in my top 15 now, Um, but I think he's at least one more impressive win away from the top 10. Now, maybe that's a unification bout with Akhmadaliev. If that happens and he wins without controversy, I would likely have to bump someone else aside. Uh, This performance against Roman, it was hard to criticize from a boxing perspective, you know, from a perspective of just success, of doing what he wanted to do. It was near flawless. That said, as a fight fan, it didn't Mm -hmm. excite me. You know, sure. my, my bloodlust was not satisfied. Um, it, it was probably Fulton's most Mayweather-esque performance yet, mm-hmm. which means he was dominant and brilliant, but it wasn't a thrilling fight that I'll want to watch a second time. He did fight in the style that I predicted. I had said last week I thought he would box more than he did against Figueroa or Leo. And then I found myself a tad disappointed that he followed the correct game plan so well. Um, it's not even a criticism, just, just an observation, really. Yeah. You know, this fight didn't make me feel anything it was workmanlike it was impressive but i suspect i'll be forgetting all the details very soon um Mm -hmm. but you know if if i'm a hardcore boxing technique head i'm loving fulton's jab right footwork um those two things alone really the jab and the footwork those two things alone never allowed roman to get comfortable and get in position and get anything done and um you know if fulton fights that way all the time uh sure it won't be quite as fun as the brandon figueroa fight but he also he could stay undefeated for years to come and, yeah. and he could move up and wait and be just as dominant at 126, 130, et cetera. Um, so before we get to uh, the other guy who created pound for pound buzz for himself, who I mentioned, Devin Haney, uh, let's talk briefly about the Fulton Roman co-feature, which was also a dominant display by a young fighter who just may have truly elite ability fighting in his adopted hometown of Minneapolis, Cuban born super middleweight, David Morrell beat up overmatched Calvin Henderson until the fight was stopped at two thirty-five of the fourth round. Kieran, you predicted a one-sided sixth round KO. I predicted a one-sided fifth round KO, but Morrell got it done slightly more quickly than either of us expected which means we each got two points for this and three for the main event, and I still lead the picks competition by one point, 51-50, a score that should delight the Sammy Hagar-era Van Halen fans, I would think. Um, <laughs> Henderson, uh, he falls to 15-2-1. and one. He never went down, but he did appear hurt in both the third and fourth rounds, as Morel, who is now 7-0 and with six KOs, stepped on the gas and convinced referee Luis Pabon to step in. And Henderson complained about the stoppage, but this was one-way traffic, and it was only going to get worse. Kieran, how impressed were you with Morel? Could you tell much against this particular opponent? And can you make an educated guess about what a David Benavidez-David Morel fight might look like? 
So there was plenty to like about the performance, but there was nothing that said to me that he would end up as anything except mincemeat against David Benavidez right yeah. now. Um, if he even attempted to fight like that against Benavidez, I, I think he'd be eaten alive. I, I don't know what the right way is to fight Benavidez. Nobody has quite figured it out <laughs> right. yet. But I, but walking forward and standing in close and and, and just unleashing on him like that is, is surely a recipe for disaster. But I'm sure he wouldn't do that against David Benavidez. He's perfectly aware of the difference between Benavidez and Calvin Henderson. But uh, there were some, lots of good elements. Uh, he is aggressive. He has a nice variety of punches. I like the fact that he wasn't just throwing wildly. He was finding the punches that could pierce Henderson's guard. He wasn't just wasting punches that landed on his gloves, as so many young fighters would do in that position. I, I thought that was that was genuinely impressive. I mean, Henderson had his muffs up pretty well, but Morel was still breaking through the guard repeatedly, and I thought that was that was good. Um, I did also like the fact that around the third round or so, he took a half step back, realized that he maybe needed to put a little bit more variety in his punches, smother his punches a little bit less, um, set up his offense a bit more, began throwing a jab more. So, that's, so that was good. Um, I think there's tremendous potential. There's already a lot of talent there, and he'd be at least a match for a lot of people at 168. But we need to see him against someone who can throw back, right. um, who can push him onto the back foot, who can give him a real fight. Uh, we don't know what happens that in that situation yet. We don't know what happens when he gets cracked. Um, and so until we've seen him against somebody at least somewhat competitive, let's not throw him in with Benavidez. I I'd be much more inclined to match him with, say, I think if Shane Mosley Jr. is still a step up, from the kind of opposition that he's been facing. Someone like a Zach Parker. If he can get through those, then we can start thinking about some bigger fights. But um, he has some real potential. So let's not derail it by matching him too hard too early. I just wouldn't think about David Benavides just yet. That's fair. Although da David Morell sure does seem convinced that he's ready he for Benavidez. But yeah, perhaps his handlers will uh, take things a little more slowly than the fighter wants to. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Saturday's other big card in Melbourne, Australia, for the Undisputed Lightweight Championship with George Cambosis Jr., the lineal champ coming in, and he had three alphabet belts, defending against Devin Haney, who brought the fourth major belt into the ring. And it was Haney who emerged with all the belts. He was too fast and sharp and well-schooled for Cambosis. And it really, I'm sure, was not as close as the two scorecards of 116-112 suggested. The third card read 118-110, which seemed much more like it uh, to me. Haney is now the king at 135 pounds. He is 28-0 with 15 KOs. Well, Combosa suffers his first loss. He's 20-1 with 10 KOs. And Haney's just 23 years old, younger than anyone else currently on really any pound-for-pound -pound list. Uh, Eric, how impressed were you with Haney's performance on Saturday? Um, and again, here we go. A quick follow-up to your thoughts on Fulton and the crowded pound-for-pound -pound picture. I'm getting a sense that he might be looking at like a number 14, something <laughs> like that, based on what you said. Um, where, where is he in that pound-for-pound -pound discussion? Um, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll tease it a little bit. The, the listeners have to wait a minute. I'll start with just this performance. Um, it really was a lot like what Fulton did against Roman in that it was a dominant boxing display, way too fast and technically proficient for the opponent, very disciplined. And also that it wasn't quite a hundred percent capturing my attention as it wore on mm -hmm. because it was so clearly a done deal after about eight rounds. I, I wasn't feeling any tension even about whether there might be a knockout. Um, not, not that Haney was coasting, 
more like the fight itself was coasting. You know, mm. just a, a 12 round fight with a lopsided decision seemed locked in. Um, by the way, we should note that uh, Haney's father and trainer, Bill Haney, was allowed into Australia at the 11th hour. I suspect the fight would have gone just the same without him, but yeah. I'm sure Devin was happy to have him there. In the fight itself, I think what stood out most about Haney's performance is that there was so little wasted movement. Mm. Everything was done with a purpose, and he never lacked for poise or confidence while fighting in front of 40,000-plus on enemy turf. That was impressive. Um, his dominant win, and it was dominant. The 116-112 scores were total hometown scores and a troubling sign that if the fight had actually been close, yeah. Haney wasn't going to win it. Um, but this win... Like Fulton, nothing here to criticize except a lack of drama. But I wonder if some people may be overrating the quality of the victory because they may be overrating Cambosos yep. because Cambosos just may be the guy who barely beat Lee Selby and barely beat Mickey Bay and his win over Teofimo Lopez might have been, to some extent, a fluke. Mm. I don't want to take anything away from Cambosos, but... It does seem he caught Lopez on a night when Lopez was dealing with physical issues and emotional yep. distractions. That wasn't the best Teofimo Lopez. And, you know, all credit to Cambosos for bringing his absolute A-game that night and fighting the fight of his life. But maybe Devin Haney just outboxed the modern-day Carlos Baldemir. Mm, that might mm. be what this was. And, and And that's where time will tell. This is a win I can't properly judge right now. This is a win where... It depends what Cambosos does from here. If he scores one more win over one other elite lightweight, that's huge for Devin Haney's legacy. If he never scores another big win, if he settles into a fringe contender, gatekeeper kind of role, then, yeah, this win earned Haney a bunch of belts, but it didn't cement his greatness. So we'll see. I think he's a tremendous talent, but I also think some people might be going just a little too far mm -hmm. with the praise in the immediate aftermath. Um, so that brings me to the pound-for-pound pound discussion. Uh, Haney definitely has a stronger case now than Fulton does. Um, you know, he graduated from prospect to contender a year or two earlier than Fulton did, so he's been doing this at this level a little longer. He has a slightly higher quantity of world-class wins. The faded version of Gamboa, then Linares, then Jojo Diaz, now Cambosos. And while I don't factor alphabet belt collection heavily into these things he is an undisputed champ that counts for something although it, it it doesn't guarantee a top 10 spot that's actually a question one of our listeners asked on twitter um hmm. but josh taylor isn't in my top 10 either right now and he unified all the belts in his division so boy this is really close with haney um I'd cert I, I wouldn't put him above shakur stevenson right now who i said i have at eight but then you look below that I have Lomachenko, who lost to the guy, who lost to the guy, who mm -hmm. lost to Haney. Um, then you have Chocolatito and Estrada. As I said, I look forward to hopefully one of them removing the other from consideration and making this easier. It's tough. I haven't decided anything for sure. Um, and as I just said, I, I'm not sure if Haney just beat an elite championship level fighter or a great club fighter who scored one mm -hmm. big upset. I do actually kind of lean toward probably slipping him in at that number nine spot above Lomachenko mm. right now, but I I'm not sure. That's uh, It's written in pencil. I'm still thinking it over. Gotcha. Um, how about you? What stood out to you about Haney's performance? Um, and there is one other lightweight who holds a belt, a secondary version of a belt that Haney holds, so it doesn't really count, but 
Javante Davis is undefeated as well. His KO of Rally Romero was replayed on Showtime to kick off the evening of boxing. Any sense who you'd favor right now between the lightweight champagne and probably his most marketable challenger, Davis? Um, so first of all, I wanted to sort of tie the the Dehaney and Fulton wins together a little bit through okay. my tweet of the week here. Yeah. Uh, I seem to be in a bit of a groove of having boxers as tweeters of the week lately, and it's going to continue this week. Um, a certain Andre Ward uh, tied the two wins together. He tweeted, two great boxers won tonight, at Real Devin Haney and at Cool Boy Steph. The style that gets disrespected the most in boxing proved to be too much. Great boxers doing what they do best making a hard situation look easy. Um, Andre tends, for understandable reasons, to be pretty defensive toward boxers as opposed to punchers slash fighters. And he certainly does feel they're underappreciated. Is being a pure boxer, does that get disrespected? I don't know. I I feel like that might be a bit over-defensive. I think the people who are real fans of boxing appreciate that kind of craft. Yeah. Although I get the more casual fans don't. Um, yeah, you're much less likely to be on Sports Center with a with one of the performances that, that Devin Haney or, or Stephen Fulton did than with the big knockout that we had in Wales on Saturday, um, which we'll talk about. But I don't know if it's disrespected. I think it's to follow on from what you said, it's respected but not necessarily loved as much. Yeah. Um, but I do think that when the performances are this good, I do think, you know, people just will just doff their cap, to be perfectly honest. I, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, as you were reading that tweet, I was thinking to myself, yeah, this is this is not surprising that Andre Ward is gravitating toward this sort of win. Um, it's a fine observation that he makes, but, you know, it also retroactively paints what Andre did in the ring in a more glowing light. Not that, right. Not that what he did in the ring wasn't also, you know, deserving of any praise it gets, but... Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure disrespected is quite the right word. It does not get rewarded monetarily as much yeah. as certain other styles, but I think people do respect and appreciate what these guys are doing. Yeah, I think so too. Um, regarding the question about him and, and Tank Davis, look, first of all, I think this is by far the best Devin Haney performance I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and styles make fights, and that Devin Haney, if he could fight like that against Javante Davis, would be a really, really tough challenge for Tank. Uh, Tank is not tall. And a guy like Haney who can fight tall, or as our friend Bedman says, fight long behind a very strong jab, could theoretically just be a really, really difficult style matchup for Tank. That said, Javante Davis is no George Cambosis. Wherever we rank George Cambosis, to follow on from your your conversation, I think that Javante Davis is better in every element of his game than Cambosis is. Um, He's got Good defense um, that often gets missed. Very good upper body movement. He's very intelligent in the ring tank. He has the skills and the talent to back up those smarts. He'll come in with a better game plan. And and perhaps one of the advantages that Tank would come in to a fight against uh, Devin Haney is I feel that he has more wrinkles to his game. I feel that he has greater variety of places to go in a fight necessarily than Devin Haney. I think Haney looked really good on Saturday night slash Sunday afternoon because Cambosis allowed him or was not able to stop him from just doing what Devin Haney likes to do, which is just work really nicely behind that jab. We've seen him look really good, Devin Haney, and then less impressive the next fight. Um, Maybe he's just somebody who rises to the really big occasion, and maybe we're going to see just the best of Devin Haney now that he's he's in the driver's seat. Um, I don't know, but... 
I think it would be an intriguing fight. I would love to see it. It would be a fascinating clash of styles. I think there would have to be a lot of back and forth all the way through it. I, I don't honestly know who I would make the favorite right now. Maybe Tank just because I think that he does have more to his game. But it's also hard to escape that feeling that maybe it's just a nightmare matchup for him. Maybe there's a reason it hasn't happened yet. But it's he's been around so long. It was remarkable to realize that Devin Haney is only 23 years old. I mean, that's just quite remarkable. And you have to figure he's only going to get better. And right now he is the man at 135. Yeah. And am I remembering right that we interviewed him on radio row? The, the, the first card we worked for showtime, the, the Broner Pacquiao card. I think that I I believe we we interviewed him there. And so, so that means doing the math, he was like 20 at the time or something. Um, So uh, yeah, he's certainly come a long way as he's gone from prospect to now, undisputed uh, champion and yeah i guess the thing as you're breaking down the 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 tank davis devin haney matchup the thing that stands out is unquestionably each one would represent the toughest opponent either has faced it's one of those fights where they're both stepping up huge at once and and you're dying to see what would happen yeah i think it would be one of those very tense quality boxing matches right i think there would just be a lot of switches in in strategy and 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 timing and styles all the way through the fight i i think that would be um would be a real hardcore fight i think yeah and with the additional element of well gervonta especially we know is yeah. a huge puncher but devin haney has been able to turn a guy's lights out uh, at on certain occasions as well one of those fights where even if it is sort of a tense boxing match, if either guy gets a big lead, it's never safe in that fight. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, while the two biggest fights on Saturday were boxing masterclasses, uh, there were also a few noteworthy knockouts elsewhere or on that undercard. Uh, on the Haney-Cambosa show, 43-year-old heavyweight Lucas Brown scored an upset first-round KO over Junior Farr, and both Maloney brothers won by KO. Jason Maloney by KO3 over Aston Palicte in the co-feature, and Andrew Maloney by KO2 over Alexander Espinosa deeper on the undercard. Plus, in Cardiff, Wales, earlier in the day, I alluded to this just now, Joe Cordina claimed a belt at 130 pounds with a one-punch KO of Kenichi Ogawa in round two. That has to be a contender for a knockout of the year. Eric, these are all quick and explosive fights. Any quick and slash or explosive thoughts? <laughs> um, that right hand from Cordina. Whew, that was something. Easily the highlight of all of these. Here's how I watched that fight. I was out all day. We took a quick family train ride into New York City to see Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Oh. So I missed the fight as it was happening. Got home. Went on the DAZN app. Clicked on the file for just the main event of the Cardiff card. And up comes the unintended spoiler that the runtime is 8 minutes 46 seconds. (laughs) So I know before I hit play that this fight is ending quickly. And after the first round, I assumed Ogawa would be the one doing the knocking out. He looked good that first round. He landed the majority of the big shots. He seemed generally in control. And then, boom, one punch. It's over. I wasn't paying attention to Joe Cordina before this, but I'm paying attention now. And I can't think off the top of my head of any better KO of the year contenders yet in 2022. This might be the leader in the clubhouse, but if I'm forgetting something, I will trust the listeners to please refresh my memory. Um, And I'll comment quickly on the Lucas Brown KO. On the one hand, great win. He still has his power. Uh, Good for him. On the other hand, it was obvious in real time that both the initial knockdown and especially Mm -hmm. the second knockdown, which was uh, accounted for the knockout came from rabbit punches The first one landed a little behind the ear, 
the second one flush on the back of the head. I don't think they were intentional fouls, but they were obvious unintentional fouls, especially the second one. I think Fa has a right to file a complaint and... I think this should actually be changed to a no contest. Is that an explosive enough comment for you? I, I agree completely with it. Um, it'd be honestly, you could, unintentional or not, a blow like that could conceivably be a DQ. You would, you just cannot hit somebody right on the back of the head like that. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, absolutely, I completely agree with you. When his head clears, uh, you know, Far is completely within his rights to, to file an appeal. Yeah. Uh, before we welcome Gordon Hall to talk primarily about this week's showbox. Uh, let's first run down that showbox card quickly. It was originally supposed to feature four eight-rounders, but one of them fell out for tragic reasons. At heavyweight, Yegor Plavako was to take on Kolbein Christensen, but Plavako from Ukraine had a close friend killed in the war and elected not to fight. So that reduced the card from a quadruple header to a triple header. Then in another planned heavyweight bout, Elvis Garcia was slated to face Alante Green, but Garcia came up positive for a banned substance in a VADA test and withdrew from the fight, writing in a letter that he was given tainted supplements. Uh, but Green remains on the card. In the second of three bouts, he'll take on late substitute George Arias. Green is 10-0-1 with seven KOs, while Arias boasts a record of 17-0. Also, seven KOs. Uh, the main event is yet another heavyweight fight with 2021 Olympic gold medalist Bakodir Big Uzbek Jalalov. 10-0, uh, all 10 wins by KO, meeting Jack Malawi, who carries a record of 11-2-1 with seven KOs. And opening the show, we have lightweights. Tommy Tomlin, 13-0 with nine KOs, versus Chan Thompson, 10-0 with seven KOs. So, those are the fights. And we now welcome the man who signed off on these matchups and kept the card together as things threatened to go sideways. Our good friend, always a terrific guest, the executive producer of Showbox, Gordon Hall. Gordon, welcome back to the podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. I always enjoy uh, uh, speaking with you, too. So, so with this card in particular, uh, Gordon, he heavyweights are in the spotlight more than they typically are on Showbox. And uh, the brightest spotlight coming in is on the big Uzbek, Bakadir Jalalov. He's a six foot seven southpaw, 250 pounds, tremendous amateur pedigree. He has power, he has skills. On paper, this guy is the total package. Based on what you've seen, does Jalalov have that next big thing potential? And is his opponent on Showbox, uh, Big Jack Mulawai, the kind of opponent who can tell us something about him? Well, I think Jalalov, to me, has all the credentials to become a champion. I mean, you know, being the two-time Olympian, being the gold medalist, and we've only had uh, six gold medalists on Showbox. Of course, one is Andre Ward is going to the Boxing Hall of Fame this weekend. Right. But, you know, credentials, I think, speak for themselves. Um, the footage that I've seen of him, I mean, he's had some tremendous knockouts, even in the amateurs. He's knocked out 10 of his 10 opponents. Uh, you could say, but who is he fought in his first 10 fights? But um, the fact of the matter is, is he is tall. He is, he's got really good uh, footwork, I thought, for a really big fighter. Um, you know, he works behind his jab. He's a southpaw. Uh, you know, and he, I think he does break down his opponents and then looks for the KO, um, and he does load up. Uh, so I think he's a fighter that certainly size-wise with pedigree, amateur pedigree, and what we've seen so far um, makes him certainly someone to look for. And, 
and and we're excited to have the opportunity to have them. We don't have that many gold medal fighters. We haven't had that many gold medalists on Showbox, so it's a good opportunity for us. It's you know matching heavyweights is always difficult. We sort of shied away from heavyweights uh, on Showbox in some cases. We did have Jermaine Franklin and we did have Big Baby Miller, you know. We've but it's hard matching them. I mean, what we can say about Jack Malowy is that, you know, he is big. Um, and so in similar size for a heavyweight, um, he is a little older as most heavyweights are. Um, you know, he didn't have much amateur career. Uh, you know, he's a little bit of a mover distance. He's not necessarily in my mind, a, a, a big puncher, but he is, coming off of his biggest victory um, two fights ago against Abdi uh, Davtayev, who I am familiar with because Dmitry Salida had him and he was 20-0-1. Uh, we saw the fight with Frank Sanchez, where certainly Malawi didn't look, uh, didn't look great, but I think that in the case of Jalalov, that this will be his toughest test to date. And we've also have heavyweights in the co-feature. We've got a late sub situation there uh, with Alante Bam Bam Green, uh, a smaller heavyweight who often fights a cruiserweight, meeting George Arias, who just took the fight in the last few days. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about the scramble to fill this spot on, on short notice. And how did you manage to come away with a battle of unbeatens that might be just as good as the bout you'd originally planned? Well, I have to give the credit to Lou DiBella, the promoter of this show, because he had George Arias on the undercard. So when Elvis Garcia fell off, uh, you know, George Arias had already been on the card and was able to step up. And frankly, George Arias is a little further along in his career and, uh, you know, uh, at this point, a little better heavyweight. So it was a really good save for us. And um, so... Uh, you know, Alante Green is an interesting story only because Steve Farhood had gotten a call from John Johnson, who, you know, used to manage Buster Douglas. Right. And just so happens when I'm talking to Lou about matchups and Green started as a heavyweight and then he went to cruiserweight. But, uh, you know, he could fight in the low 200s, which was still uh, could make that heavyweight uh and and I I saw footage of him. And he works fine as jab. He's strong, uh, so uh, um, he would have been a good candidate to have on Showbox. And just turned out that when we were trying to have some sort of theme for the Hall of Fame weekend of heavyweights, that uh, in matching Elvis at that time, Green Green was a good candidate. And then of course, Elvis Garcia falling off. George Arias steps up. And of course, I'm sure you're familiar with George, but uh, though he, again, didn't have much amateur career, but he's a pretty accomplished, smaller heavyweight, you know, undefeated, not a lot of power, but he makes for, I'm not going to say he has a style like Joe Frazier, but I don't think he's, <laughs> you know, become Joe Frazier, but, uh, you know, he, he basically he boxes very well. He's got limited power. Listen, both fighters are undefeated. Both fighters are 29 and 30 years old. This is a barometer fight for both of them. And, and, you know, the, the fighter that wins, uh, you know, looks to his future and the fighter that loses, you know, is going to take a couple, couple steps back for sure. But I think it'll be a, uh, a relatively entertaining fight. 
So, so even though you know Green, it, like you said, he, he he sort of goes up and down. He fights in the low two hundreds. You feel fairly confident with the the sort of size matchup there, because because you know uh, Arias isn't very tall for the division, is he? No, he isn't, and and Green is is quite a bit taller. Yeah, I don't know what you know. I've always thought that about George Arias. You know, he's he's really a very small heavyweight. And what do we have now? We have gigantic heavyweights. Mm. So uh, it's it's a case where George has done well. You know, he. Cassius Cheney is a fighter that he's coming off uh, who he just beat mm-hmm. and Cassius Cheney was with a uh, main events and Kathy Duva and we were going to have Cassius on Showbox, uh, but I think the fact that that George beat Cassius that was a good victory that was a really good barometer fight for him at this point in his career so he's a little bit on the rise. And uh, but I don't count out Alante Green. Alante Green is a really solid fighter strong you know and he's built beat some you know pretty good fighters Biv, uh, Stevens Bujaj we had on Showbox um, and then Samuel Clarkson we've had on I mean these are solid fighters of which Green has beaten mm. so um, I, I still think it's a it's a solid matchup for us and of course a battle of unbeaten all right, so we have those two heavyweight fights. Uh, the opening bout takes us to the lightweight division, and this is a classic showbox situation. Two undefeated fighters taking on an opponent with a far better record than anyone they've faced before. It's uh, Tyler Shortfuse Tomlin against Chan Thompson, and I don't envy the broadcasters who are sure to get tripped up saying Tomlin and Thompson all fight. Um, th- yeah. This is this is the Showbox debut for both fighters, I believe. So give us a little sneak preview. What what should viewers be looking for here? What kind of style matchup do you see? Well, I really like this fight, and you know I've been wrong several times in, <laughs> before. Uh, I will say that this is this should be the fight of the night. Okay. I mean. Tyler Tomlin is a pressure fighter. He likes distance and boxes, but he increases his pressure as he's gone, gone along. And, you know, to have Tyler is sort of a little bit of that quintessential showbox prospect. I mean, he had 80 amateur fights, not a huge amateur. Um, he's only 22 years old, uh, you know, and 13 and 0 and taking on, you know, Thompson in this case, uh, at 10 and 0, it's a really good matchup. The backstory of Tomlin, of course, was that Caleb Plant's father was his first trainer. He's out of Ashland City um, and in in Tennessee, where um, uh, Caleb Plant came from. Uh, you know, he was a six-time Tennessee, you know, Golden Gloves champion, and uh, you know he's had uh, been a busy fighter. And uh, I think he's got a really good style. You move on to to Chan, you know, Chan started boxing a little later. Uh, you know, he did have 60 amateur fights and, you know, Tomlin had 80 and he didn't start boxing until he was 19 years old. His twin brother boxes. I mean, he works really well behind the jab. He has really good skill and he does pressure and exchange as well. So I see uh, this being a, a competitive fight and also uh, an action pack fight. All right. So this card, as we talked about, is taking place not far from Canastota on Hall of Fame weekend. Um, not to put you on the spot, but do you ever allow yourself to think, you know, I've been doing this a while. I've earned some respect in the business. Maybe I'll get that call from Ed Brophy one day. 
Uh, no, I really have not. And, um, you know, the fact when I was uh, honored at the uh, Boxing Writers Association dinner, I was sort of even, you know, embarrassed. I don't know. I sort mm. of like, you you know, this, this, everything we do in life, like I've learned so much from everyone, you two, everybody that I talk to, you know, managers, promoters, you know, I'm, I'm just one little, I'm just a, a person that has been fortunate enough to get into position and work with really good people and always wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I really am not always that comfortable in like having people think that, you know, it's, it's, Oh, you, you know, I'm all that or something like mm-hmm. that. It just doesn't make me comfortable, but uh, I wouldn't turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, we straight up uh, lobbied that trophy when he was on the podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, but um yeah, you know what? This weekend is a um, a memorable weekend. This is a more historic weekend than they'll ever be at the Boxing Hall of Fame, which is yeah. a which is really great for us at Showbox and Showtime to have exposure up there to be able to put on a Showbox show. And uh, you know, we're all thrilled to have that opportunity. You know, with so many fighters going in that are just you know household names, uh, that uh, you know we're thrilled to be up there. You hoping to get quite a few of uh, of them actually at Showbox on on the Friday night? You hoping we'll get a, a good and exciting crowd uh, on Friday? I know that on Friday, uh, according to uh, Ed and Jeff Brophy, there is some sort of dinner in the uh, evening, and then everyone is invited to go to the boxing. So he does expect, uh, you know, a good turnout of the Hall of Famers and. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some like maybe Floyd won't come in until just Sunday or we know right. Klitschko bigger business, uh, yep. you know, Ukraine, but uh, it will have a show. Our show's going to be basically we're there to do a show box show, but we're also, you know, there to for this historic Hall of Fame weekend, which is all though it's in Canastota. The festivities are all happening at Turning Stone, the side of this fight. So we're going to sprinkle throughout the night vignettes on on some of the modern day fighters you know hopkins marquez christy martin who was a huge part of showtime boxing Mm. for Mm. a period of time in the face of women's boxing i remember when she fought an undercard of a don king pay-per-view uh the following week she was on the cover of sports illustrated was just unheard Mm. of you know at that time and so we'll sprinkle out some vignettes. Our good friend Steve Farhood, Showtime boxing analyst and historian, has written a few notes on on the uh, on the inductees. You know, there are some that are more important to us. Everybody's important to us. But Andre Ward, we did a little longer form feature that Alexis Arguello Jr., who does produces features for us, has done. Yes, he is the son of Alexis Arguello. Um, and then, uh, you know, we'll have a little longer form on Floyd and then, um, you know, something on our, uh, Jay Larkin, who was the person that really launched Showtime. He didn't, there wasn't even a question. He launched Showtime boxing. He greenlit, you know, Showbox. He hired me, uh, you know, made, gave me the opportunity to run, you know, Showbox. So we'll do a little, um, tribute to him or announce team of Barry Tompkins, Hall of Famer, Steve Farhood. Hall of Famer remotely. Brian Campbell, of course, has joined our Showbox team along with Raul Marquez. And then we'll also have Hall of Famer uh, 
Al Bernstein with us this weekend in order to be a roving reporter and maybe get some of the sights and sounds you know, around the ring of some of the uh, Hall of Famers that will be in attendance. Fantastic. I, I cannot wait for Friday night and the whole rest of the weekend. Um, but let, let's uh, look back at the, the fight that we just watched. Uh, we're, we're talking here on Sunday. You're just back from Minneapolis where you saw Stephen Fulton absolutely dominate Daniel Roman. And Fulton is one of the many, many future champions whom you helped introduce to the boxing world on Showbox. Did you sense back then how special Fulton could be? And and I guess I should ask you just how special a fighter is Stephen Fulton now, in your view? Well, I mean that was a ma- that was just a tremendous performance on Saturday night, and I have to say that Danny Roman we had on Showbox as well, and uh, you know he uh, he's only fought once on Showbox, and it was that victory over Adam Lopez that helped catapult him into a title uh, elimination fight. And of course he would go on and win the title. Um, I, I expected a little more competitive fight mm-hmm. and, but I don't think that's a negative to Danny Roman. I think it's the fact that Stephen Fulton is just that good. Yeah. I mean, he's just such a complete fighter that, uh, and he's a fighter, you know, you want to see. He's a fighter you'll pay to see. So to see him, you know, dominate like he did um, and, and a fighter that's, you know, not that long in years um, and, and, and fights is uh, a statement to just how good he is. So the Showtime schedule has been pretty much nonstop the last month or so. Uh, and then it continues for a couple more weeks. And you finally get a little break after June 18th in Houston. Are you looking forward to that break? Because that must have been, it's been a pretty intense uh, uh, period. Do you ever say to Stephen, dude, ease up. There's only so many cards I can make matches for here. Well, I mean, Stephen runs the championship and he, you know, I work with him. And uh, so, you know, on, on the championship shows, I'm more about, you know, putting together the productions and, mm. uh I mean, it is still a great deal of work, but I love doing, I am so fortunate because I, I love coming to work every day. I still do. I can't say that I ever, you know, not wanted to go to work and, you know, I've always tried to be the first person in there and I've always tried to work hard and set examples. And it's just something that, um, yeah, it's been a grind, but what I say to everybody else is everyone can do the easy stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and look what we're doing and look at how well we're doing it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that that's a credit again, going back to like, this isn't one person that's doing all of this. There's so many people that make our shows happen and our shows are big shows. Every single one is a big show. And, um, you know, with lots of cameras and lots of people and lots of preparation. And, you know, we have such a talented group of people. It's just, uh, you know, a credit, even this past weekend. I mean, Brian Custer's son was graduating from high school and, you know, Mo stepped up to host the show and do the play by play. And he knocked it out of the park. You know, the guy's brilliant and prepared and there's not one person that's out there that isn't concerned, you know, about I'm not going to let my, my teammate down. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't mind the work, but I, I'll look forward to a little rest after, <laughs> uh, after the 18th. So. 
you you like to go the uh, the humble route, clearly, um, and uh, and you know praise all the all the people around you. But it, it's occur it's occurring to me. I have to heap one specific piece of praise on you, uh, Gordon, as as we're doing this interview, having this conversation. The recall, the ability to basically go through yeah. who everyone has fought, uh, even some of these minor fights that nobody else remembers. If I ever lose my internet connection and I need to get on BoxRec and I can't, <laughs> I'm calling you, Gordon, because you'll have the answers I'm looking for. Well, I, 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 I might. I don't know. <laughs> Humble again. There you go. <laughs> Oh, Gordon, thank you so very much. We always really appreciate it when, when you come on the show and, and give us your insight. And we're both really looking forward. We'll, we'll, see you, uh, we'll see you at Turning Stone, and we're really looking forward to next weekend. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to get up there and, uh, and look forward to spending some time with you as well. Right. Thanks so much, Gordon. Thanks, Gordon. Our thanks again to Gordon, who, as always, just a wonderful guest. And as regular listeners know, for Showbox cards, we only include the main event in our picks competition. Eric, it is your turn to pick first. What is your pick for Jalalov versus Malawi? So Jalalov idolized the Klitschko's coming up, and yeah. there is definitely some what if Vitaly Klitschko was a southpaw energy with him. <laughs> and I single out Vitaly because Jalalov moves with a bit of Vitaly's rigidity and holds his hands very low, like Vitaly used to. But um, also, uh, you know, at least against the grade of opposition he's faced so far, he has shown Vitaly's aggression more so than Vladimir's sort of, I guess I would say, more composed aggression at times. Mm. Um, he, he reminds me more of Vitaly than Vladimir. Um, I know I'm getting way, way ahead of myself, but I just... Got to put it out there. I hope Tyson Fury hangs around until Jalalov is ready to face <laughs> the best because, you know, like two years from now, that could be a fascinating matchup. Um, so if you can't tell, I am very high on Jalalov based on what I've seen so far. The ceiling is as far up there as it gets. Mulawai, he's probably a step up from the big Uzbeks pro competition so far. And I know that he's coming in with something to prove after his disappointing performance against Frank Sanchez in 2019, but I would expect this to be one way traffic. And the question is whether it's a distance fight or a stoppage. The eight round scheduled distance could be significant here. Yeah. Uh, Malawi has never been stopped, but he's also never faced a puncher like this. So I do think that we will see a stoppage, if not a full on knockout. Uh, at Turning Stone, even scheduled for eight rounds. I think that should be enough, although I expect it to be tougher and go longer than the other fights Jalalov has had so far. The furthest anyone has taken him is into the fifth. I'll say Mluai lasts into the seventh before the big Uzbek pounds out a TKO. What do you say? Um, yeah, look, I agree with you. Um, I'm pretty high on, on him from, from watching him. Uh, he, Even though at times he sort of moves a little bit, um, robotically, he can also, he's got some interesting, like, foot speed and hand speed for such a big guy as well. I, I like the way that he kind of moves in and out of, of range swiftly. Yes, he is very Klitschko-esque, and he, and he certainly made no secret about, as you said, his, his uh, admiration for, for the Klitschkos. But um, he throws his punches really nice and straight, and he throws a lot of them, mm. and with bad intentions. Um, yeah, and he's big and he's a southpaw. He's going to be a tough guy to go up against. Um, yes, he still lacks some finesse. He reaches on his punches sometimes, leaves himself a bit off balance. But it does like like when he uh, sort of irons out the creases, it does kind of look like he could be the goods, doesn't it? Um, 
Malawi doesn't look all that bad. He also moves quite well. There's a fluidity to his punches. <clears throat> he is tough and re resilient. Yeah, he lost basically every round against Frank Sanchez, but he went the distance. And given what Sanchez has done since, um, you know, that's that looks pretty good. But Sanchez, as good a boxer as he is, isn't this all-out aggressive uh, fighter that Jalalov is. I was wondering whether the eight-round distance would be too short um, because Malawi does look like he's really tough. But at the same time, I just think that Jalalov is just going to be coming at him all the time, and I'm not sure Malawi's going to be able to land much on him, actually. I had actually also thought about picking a seventh-round stoppage, but I'm going to pick another round now. Okay. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say he does it a little bit earlier. I, I You know, it might not be entirely unlike the Morel henderson fight that we saw on Saturday night in terms of one guy just constantly coming forward and the other one just trying to keep him off. I will go with the prediction that I had for Morel against the Henderson, and I will stick with a sixth-round stoppage for Jalanov. Okay, yeah, there you are. Panicking and changing your picks because you're one point behind in the contest. Yeah, there you go. because I have you where I want you, and I want to <laughs> keep it that way. <laughs> Perhaps. I'm sure uh, it'll end up uh, being a KO1 or something, and it won't matter whether we debated six or seven. But... And entirely possible. Or I'll wish that I had actually gone with the decision, which is what it'll end up being. But right. there we go. Um, there are a few other fights of note coming this week, but I want to start with one we touched on last week. It's happening Tuesday morning, our time. It's the Noya Inoue Nonito Donaire rematch. And since last we talked about it, uh, you mentioned that you found some interesting betting odds on this fight. Yeah, uh, look, in a way, is a big favorite here. Um, I'm seeing him from minus 550 to minus 667, so no surprise really with that. But the method of victory props that I saw at a couple of the online sports books that I use, they surprised me a little. Uh, at FanDuel, in a way on points is plus 380, and in a way by KO is minus 185. And at Foxbet, it's even more extreme. In a way, decision plus 400 and in a way KO minus 213. I really would have thought before checking the odds that KO and decision would be priced about the same, you mm. know, maybe both of them right around plus 200. If you want to make a case that a KO is more likely than a decision. Okay. I, I can see that may maybe KO even money decision plus 250, something like that wouldn't have shocked me. But again, their first fight went the distance. Uh, Daenerys has looked, positively revitalized since it's possible that age catches up to him here or that in a way's power simply catches up to him here but at plus 400 i am very much willing to bet against that and i have bet against that uh that, okay. that's a, that's a huge number on the result that we did in fact already see the first time these two met right what do you think Kieran? Do, do you agree it's a surprisingly high number or or are you in the camp that in a way stopping Nito this time is indeed much more likely than, than a distance fight. I, I think it's crazy high, um, especially given, you know, how the first fight unfolded, uh, given that Donaire has reinforced his Hall of Fame quality since and has looked arguably in the best form of his life since. Um, and he has only been stopped once, and that was by Nicholas Walters, and that was almost eight years ago now, I wow. think. And um, and that was really the nadir of his career in many mm. ways. I, I remember that fight week. I, I was covering that fight. Nanita was just off. He was off all week. And I, I remember predicting that Walters would stop him because it just he just didn't seem right. Um, and since he's moved back down in weight, he's looked, uh, you know, much more resilient. Um, look, there's certainly a good case to be made that NOA will stop Donaire this time around. And if we were including it in our picks competition, that's probably the pick that I would make. But that doesn't mean that's the bet I'd make. Right. Not a plus 400. Uh, that feels 
almost like free money. You'll never eat all those pizzas. <laughs> well, I don't pe- eat pizzas anymore. Ah, well, there you yes. go. But still. I'll even have a hard time giving away all those pizzas. <laughs> there you go. Um, so there are a few other fights of note on Saturday when we'll be at the Hall of Fame getting drunk at the Banquet of Champions. Um, from Miami, Daniel Dubois faces Trevor Bryan for a secondary version of a heavyweight belt. From New York City, super middleweight prospect Edgar Berlanga faces Romer Alexis Angulo. And from Anaheim, California, unbeaten middleweight Jaime Munguia meets Jimmy Kelly. Anything of interest to you there, Karen? Uh, Munguia, Kelly, meh, as we've talked mm-hmm. about. But the rest, I'm quite interested. We'll ignore the fact that somehow Don King has been able to not only procure <laughs> Trevor Bryan a heavyweight belt, but allow him to keep it somehow. But I am keen to see Daniel Dubois mm-hmm. continue his comeback and see how he looks there. Um you know, the bloom is a little bit off Edgar Belanga's rose of late as that early career knockout streak has ground to a halt. But I like this matchup. I think Angulo is a legitimately interesting and tough test. It feels kind of like a pick and fight to me. And if Berlanga does win it, you know, even if maybe he's not quite the exciting uh, prospect that we had thought he was when he was bowling people over, he's definitely legit if he gets past Angulo. So, so I'm quite curious about that. Okay. All right, let's move along to the news. And our main event this week is a combination of two bits of news surrounding former heavyweight champ Anthony Joshua. First, the more minor news. His rematch with Oleksandr Usyk has had a working date of July 23rd for a while, but promoter Eddie Hearn is now saying the fight might be bumped back two weeks as he works to finalize broadcast deals. The more major news AJ has a new trainer. He selected Robert Garcia, one of the best in the game for a long time the BWAA's Trainer of the Year in 2012, who has worked with everyone from his brother Mikey to Marcos Maidana to Abner Mares to Jose Ramirez. Kieran, what are your thoughts on this pairing? And, you know, Garcia trains his fighters to be aggressive. Can you see him making a big difference for AJ in this rematch without them having any tune-up fights together? I like the idea of this partnership. It feels right. Um, you know, Garcia's ha- has that advantage of having been a, a world champion boxer himself and, and of being from a family of fighters. He has that natural empathy with boxers. And I, and I think that's what AJ needs right now as much as anything. I think he needs someone to build him up, to make him feel good about himself, uh, to rediscover the elements that got him to the top in the first place. And that includes rediscovering his aggressive instincts and feeling comfortable with them without abandoning the solid technique that, that underpinned them. Um, it's probably going to involve some work on his stamina as well, which has been a bit of an issue. I think Garcia will probably be good at that. Look, I think it would be much preferable to have a tune-up fight or two first. Um, but the problem, of course, with heavyweight boxing is that you can have a tune-up and one punch can just right. ruin it, right? So for entirely understandable reasons, I can't imagine that Usyk's preparations have exactly been ideal either. So I guess it sort of makes sense to just go ahead and roll the dice. But I am, I'm really intrigued. Sometimes you just need, it's not even necessarily a reflection on your past trainers. Sometimes you just need something different. Yep. You need to hear from different voices. He's gone around a bunch of gyms. He's talked to different people. Obviously, Garcia is the guy he feels comfortable with. I think it's a really interesting partnership. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of it. All right. Lots of news to run through quickly on our undercard here. Fights announced include Ryan Garcia versus Javier Fortuna on July 16th, Huey Fury versus Michael Hunter on July 2nd, Michael Conlon, Miguel Mariaga on August 6th, and Kazuto Ioka, Donny Nietes 2 on July 13th. Multiple boxing writers have reported on a planned Showtime card on July 30th at 
Barclays Centre, apparently inspired by your top five list last week. Mm. Uh, it's uh, reported to be Barclays regular Danny Garcia, one of the guys we name-checked as being the, uh, uh, performing at Barclays a lot. He's taken on Jose Benavides Jr. at £154, reportedly, although Showtime has not announced anything yet. Uh, speaking of Showtime fights at Barclays, a few days after his loss there to Javante Davis, Ronnie Mamero gave a more measured statement about wanting a rematch. He said, at some point, I will want my rematch with Tank, but I know I'll have to work my way back to that position. Uh, lastly, Dan Raphael reported this week on Triller failing to pay fighters from its May 14th pay-per-view card, including Sergei Kovalev and Kubra and Tervel Pulev, and that Jerry Forrest's purse was delayed. But Lou DiBella told Raphael he did receive the rest of what he was owed on Thursday. Triller Fight Club president David Tetro issued a statement denying the report. Eric, what would you like to comment on there? So I'm, I'm a little hesitant to comment on the Triller thing because yeah. they are denying it, even though I trust Dan's reporting more than I trust what Triller says. But, you know, it just makes it kind of a tough one for me to lean into until we know all the facts. I'll just say that I once worked for a company that was having money problems and failing to pay people and paying late and rolling out excuses. Mm -hmm. And it's just a horrible situation for everyone. So I hope every fighter here gets paid in full soon. And if by chance Triller isn't long for the boxing business, I won't be terribly sad, I have to admit. Yeah. Um, the whole Raleigh Romero statement was very encouraging and a good reminder not to judge a fighter by what he says in the Absolutely. minutes after he's been concussed. Yeah. Um, I don't know that he'll ever do enough to get people demanding a rematch with Tank Davis, but I could certainly see him beating a contender or two and getting another shot at another belt after one or two quality wins. Um, out of all those fights that have been announced, this might surprise you, but... Michael Hunter Huey Fury kind of stands out. Oh, yeah. um, Fury can make for dreadful fights sometimes, but not always. And this just looks like a pretty even matchup to me. I, I, I favor the much smaller Hunter, I think, but it's close. Um, Garcia Fortuna, it's fine. Nothing more than fine, but it's fine. Um, somewhat like his possible eventual super fight rival, Tank Davis. He, he's taking on credible opponents, mm -hmm. but he's not quite stepping up the way that we want him to. And Mariaga is, is a fine opponent for Conlon's return from defeat. Um, and I have to say, I'm more interested in Conlon as a fighter now than I was after any of his victories, right? Yeah. You know, he provided yeah. some real thrills against Lee Wood. I'd love to see him get past Mariaga and maybe get a rematch with Wood. All right, we are nearing the end of the show, and this is normally the spot where we would do a top five assignment. But as we will be in Canastota next week with our hands full, doing lots of podcasts, but not necessarily a traditionally formatted Monday pod with a top five list, I'm not going to make an assignment just yet. We'll take a week off from that and get back to the top five challenge shortly. And that will do it for this episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. We will have much more to come later this week. We're not sure exactly how many podcasts we'll be posting. Um, and as far as we're aware, there's there's going to be a good chance of some video podcasts mm. as well. Um, we had a little conversation with our folks at Showtime and flexibility is going to be our watchword. <laughs> yes. We're going to be grabbing the interviews as and when they come. Remember, there's going to be three classes being inducted at once, so we're really quite hopeful of being able to get a bunch of interviews for you, which may come in as podcasts on their own or be incorporated into larger podcasts or maybe a bit of both. We shall see. But we will certainly have plenty of material for you, almost certainly dropping Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday as we rub elbows with the biggest stars in boxing. 
and make you extremely envious of us. Uh, until the next episode, thanks very much for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.